Greetings and welcome to the Mount Rushmore podcast. My name is Jeff and I'm joined as always by my good buddies Richard. Hello. And Michael. Howdy. Richard and Michael like to debate and deliberate the most ubiquitous aspects of many given topics. Well, they're not given to us. We choose them. Uh, sometimes they're given to us. Yeah, sometimes by you. Are. Yeah. Sometimes <laughs> by you, true. Jeff. Sometimes by our uh, listenership and our Facebook ship and social media ship, and we're grateful for that. Uh, this week's no different as they debate and deliberate the Mount Rushmore of aspects of wealth from a bygone era. Wow, that's a hipster. That's a bespoke topic. <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> that is a... A West all, the, wearing... all the other crappy um, Mount Rushmore type podcasts are not going to have they're, chosen this as one of the things not. they talk about. This topic is is mulling essentials of <laughs> herbs and spices I- behind a bar mm, right. <laughs> as a mix, mixologist in Los Feliz somewhere. Who spo- who chose it? You. I did. Okay. This was yours. You, you foisted you this serious? upon us. Yeah. I thought I pulled it from somewhere from the... the... Anyway, okay, yeah. So the reason why I love this topic... <laughs> uh, I've, Busted. Uh, I remember reading that lobster is this very elegant kind of richy rich food now, but it used to be stuff that mm. they would give prisoners. Mm. It was just dregs from the bottom. Of sure, the they're like they're like they're a, like spiders. They're 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 sea spiders. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and so there's something that was um, part that used to be something of the poor, and now it's you know something of the wealth. And then there's stuff that. Not necessarily is is for poor people now or non wealthy people now, but used to be part of the lifestyle of yeah. a wealthy person. So, yeah. Oh, fun! I, I mean, I, you know, it's stop it. All of that is that is the big lobster. Yeah. Had just texted Jeff to well, like that's tell the indicator him to... that the show's over. That's uh, that's drawn thing. butter sending you a message being like, <laughs> "Lobsters nothing without us." Fuck off. So I don't know. So why don't we dis- uh, discuss this uh, wearing our ascots and um, our monocles? My monocle may pop off if I hear anything <laughs> too exciting. So driving my Duesenberg. Uh, okay. So Richard, uh, keep your monocle on and let us know your first choice. All right. All right. My first choice is the humble pineapple. Oh well. Um, this is something that came to me uh, via my wife. We were discussing this last night on our way to a to a birthday party. And I kind of knew a little bit about this, but she sort of clued me in on, on some of the more specific details because I knew that pineapple was something that was very exotic oh. throughout history. Yeah. Um, it was uh, first discovered by Christopher Columbus when he wasn't busy, you know, murdering yeah. Native Americans and Native peoples. Oh, is that right? Um, yeah. Uh, he was spotted by on the Caribbean island of Guadeloupe. Wow. Uh, by Christopher Columbus. Like he was the first Western. Westerner. Westerner. Okay. I mean, obviously yeah. the people yeah. who were there. Yeah. But the first Westerner. <laughs> hey, what's that? We never saw that. Huh. <laughs> huh. You mean that rock from that tr- the tree rock? Yeah, we don't know. We don't eat those things. Yeah. I don't know. What is that? He's eating them. He's eating them. What an idiot. Like, why would you eat? To be fair. Yeah. Why would you eat one of those things if you didn't already know? They're murder fruit. Pretty yeah. much. Yeah. Um, but it wasn't until like 1900 with the Dole family that pineapple became a commodity and something that could be grown on mass and and shipped around the world. Oh, wow! So back in like the colonies, uh, the colonial period of Americas, for example, it was you would sp- rich people would spend the equivalent of like eight thousand dollars. Wow! On one pineapple. Wow. To be able to show off that they could buy a pineapple. Take that, Japanese square watermelons. <laughs> yeah. And if you couldn't afford your own watermelon, you could rent a watermelon mm. for your party. 
Wow. And the people who had the pineapple, you, know, you mean? Or, yeah, I'm sorry, pineapple. <laughs> I've got you got me all screwed up, Winfield. Um, yeah, you could rent a pineapple, and the, your local pineapple pineapple sewer or whatever he was called would bring his his pineapple and you would have it for your party and just show it off like hey look what i got oh i'm rich enough to be able to afford a pineapple so you even though it wasn't really your pineapple you were just renting it you wouldn't consume it you, you would just, just have it there it would be like part of your centerpiece it would be wow. like the, the the centerpiece of your centerpiece i hope that so the, to speak i hope that the pineapple renter uh, a guy would come back at the end of the party and be like i don't know look at the <laughs> looks wasn't as bruised as it was when you first got it look right here look on the side right here look right here no look real close right here this little spine here did you, nope, did you that one was full did you purchase the pineapple insurance <laughs> gotta purchase the pineapple insurance my man wow that's fascinating yeah Do you pineapples do uh, that's funny because I, I just figured Dole just kind of kind of jumped on the the train. I didn't realize realize that they invented this infrastructure for this. Uh, sure, yeah. I mean, he basically uh, st- the first person who started a first Westerner to start a, pi- a pineapple plantation hmm. in Hawaii and really turn it into a marketable fruit. Yeah, because before that, it was just something that was out in the Caribbean and mm-hmm. and it was just super rare to be able to get it. If you wanted to try and get it, either. In Americas or certainly in Europe, um, chances are what you would get is a rotting pineapple yeah. by the oh. time it got off the ship. Oh, wow. Wow, that's cool. That's really fascinating. All right, Michael, what's your uh, first? All right, I'll stick with food, too. Um, salt. Yeah. Salt's one of those things. You know, you know, all spices in general, you know, back, you know, several 1,500 years ago, 2,000 years ago, a long time ago, like spices were just hard to get. Salt yeah. was hard to get. And having salt to flavor things you know it seems easy now i think i think that's part of almost what you were talking about jeff at the very top was that um things that seem luxurious now were not back then or vice versa salt is literally you it's in everything it is everyone has a giant box of it in their home they're easy to get now but back in the day it was a very heavily um valued substance um, I was talking with my wife, Emily, about salt, and one of the um, theories or one of the reasons why people drink um, with their pinky out um, was because that was their spice finger, and they dip it in salt or spice so they wouldn't, like, touch all of their food at the same time with all of their fingers, and so you just kind of take a little wow. da- dab of salt on your mouth and not all of it at the same time. Um, but salt's this – I think it's totally – it's weird to think of food without like what salt brings out of it. Mm-hmm. Right. To so think of how bland food must have been for so many people. I mean, I can't imagine what they had when they first, like you said, tried a pineapple. Yeah. And it's just like, what the, the hell is this yeah. thing? Blown people's minds. No way. Same yeah. thing with like salt or just any kind of spices in general. Like, you know, they had the big spice trade coming across, you know, the um, Silk Road and mm-hmm. across Asia and Eurasia. And uh, salt was just one of those things. It was just like, you needed you needed to have it. I could also uh, see it not just uh, maximizing the flavor of good food, but covering the flavor of bad food too. Yeah, if you sure. Have and I think when you, I think the corn in corned beef is actually salt. It's the when you say corn, they're referring to corn size salt chunks oh. that help. So that that's not necessarily a completely a pr- flavoring process, but a preserving preserving i mean that that's a good point is you know the salt was used to preserve things keep food going longer so the more you had of it the longer Mm -hmm. your food supplies could last you know bearing stuff under under the ground too and whatever but 
Okay, so spice is it spices in general or just salt? I'm gonna say salt. Okay, Winfield. Okay, all right. Worth is salt. Okay. Um. Okay. Uh, what do you got, man? Ready for your all second right. one? My second choice. I'm sticking with food, and I'm going with ice cream. Oh wow, cool. Which makes a lot of sense because up until the early 1800s, there was not mass refrigeration or mass ice houses. Yeah. Or kind of ice rooms or ways to be able to freeze stuff. So the ability to serve ice cream to your guests was like this exotic and special treat that only the elite were able to mm-hmm. do. Um, and especially if you were serving it not just on kind of a to one person, like you could make some really quickly and get it out there. But if you were serving it at a banquet or a big reception or something like that where you had to serve hundreds of dishes of ice cream, that was something that was a very rare treat that you needed yeah. to have you know, servants and, and people working around the clock to prepare this mm-hmm. ice cream and keep it cold and do a, do everything you needed to do to be able to serve it. And now it's just, you think about it, it's like ice cream is just like, everybody eats ice, ice cream. Yeah. It's just like the the most, I mean, I had ice cream today for lunch. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I, I didn't, <laughs> I didn't, you don't think twice about it. Well, yeah. it's, it's was it salt, a, salted pineapple flavor ice cream? For, we're just getting <laughs> yes, it through it all was. of our... Just get, it's rolling it all up uh-huh. into one big ball. No, but ice cream. I mean, if you, it's just one of those things where individual refrigeration was not necessarily something for the rich, but being able to refrigerate something in that mass quantity and be able to serve it mm-hmm. was something that was considered to be a, mm. the Provence. Yeah, that seems elite. to speak, like you said, to the, the logistics of having just to serve it. That many people, that many servants, that many... Everything quickly, yeah. Yeah. I never thought about it that way. I didn't either, but yeah. Hmm. There's a fun podcast, and maybe you're a fan or listener, Cocaine and Rhinestones. Where he, I've heard it yeah. before, yeah. Uh, he does uh, get a little long-winded about some analogies for uh, uh, cultural milestones in country music by comparing them to bigger milestones in the world. And one of the things was the variety of music that exploded in the – the early part of the 20th century and they made a comparison to ice cream like in 1940 there was two types of ice cream (laughs) and then (laughs) 30 years later there was 1,000 types of ice cream in in the stores and entertainment became like that too with music right Uh, there was kind of like maybe two types types of music and then then jug music (laughs) it was all just like (laughs) right (laughs) then uh, it was Benny Goodman and and his (laughs) his uh, his co- hayseed cousin, <laughs> uh, Moondog Goodman. But then, but you also, yeah, uh, if you look at cookbooks around the time of the mid-50s, they, they showed the impact of the lack of refrigeration. So you would have like leftover pie or in- anything you could do to preserve and extend the usefulness of food. Right. And then 20 years later, when everybody had a refrigerator um, and all the access to all these exotic foods and yeah. things like that. George Washington apparently spent $200 on ice cream at uh, Mount Vernon in 1790. Wow. Which makes sense because with his wooden teeth, he would not have get any ice cream headaches. Do you think this is true or do you think this is a lie? Mm. Oh, I don't know. I, George, we would, George Washington would never lie He would never tell him he would chop down a well, cherry. Cherry-flavored cherry ice cream. <laughs> cherry exactly. Yeah. Okay, cool. Uh, ice cream. And Winfield's second one is probably... Hot cream. Hot cream, Hot exactly. Cream. <laughs> Hot sauce. Hot sauce. Uh, books. Books. Wow, books. yeah. Wow, yeah, of course. Um, you know, 
before Gutenberg. Uh, Steve Gutenberg? Before Steve Gutenberg yeah. uh, <laughs> invented the printing press in the first uh, Police Academy movies. Uh, invented kind of like a movable type and kind of a more reusable print. There's Printing presses had existed before Gutenberg, yeah. but they were kind of these big kind of screw down sort of things and very difficult, um, not easy to do. But once kind of movable type and the printing press kind of um, was able to put out pieces of paper more efficiently and the same thing and kind of manufacture books. Um, Books became a lot easier to acquire and use and especially like the Bible Mm -hmm. kind of flourished again around the world. But before that, if you had a book, it was hand mostly, you know, hand lettered, hand written, sewn, put together by a person and only, you know, it took, you know, hundreds of man hours to put one book together and, I'm sure the equivalent of however much that costs to make to purchase. Yeah. So to have a book, let alone a library of books, meant that you were a very wealthy person. (laughs) All of these things that are the marks of wealth. I can imagine going over to somebody's house and just having all everybody pick out a bun and go, whoa, I'm holding the ice cream. Whoa. Hey, touching the ice cream. I'm putting the ice cream near the book. It's going to ruin it. Whoa. I think we definitely take for granted. Like on Saturday morning, uh, Felix and I went to our local library and, you know, checked out 15 different books for this next couple of weeks to go through and whatever. And like they have, you know, 200,000 books there, different books. You could just walk in and borrow up to 30 at a time yeah. and you're just like and then they'll just bring them back in three weeks and to imagine that was you know nearly not nearly it was just an impossible thing 500 yeah. years ago yeah uh i also find it interesting there probably was a time where uh one may have the opportunity to acquire a book but you still may not have an entire family that's literate or that has not the training to read or for for sure i mean that's uh you know kind of a way to hold on to your wealth is to Keep it in the home. Make sure that only the people that are wealthy can read. Yeah, they or they're the only ones that really have the access to being able to buy a book and uh-huh. there and read a book and be educated in that way. Um, I'm sure people um, once the printing press and once you know things became more available, it opened things up. But mm-hmm. uh, prior to that, you know, that's that's more the you know the one percent holding on to the one percent by being the ones that could yeah. have these books. Was it Stephen Stephen Fry thing where he's talking about what Gutenberg was not necessarily a purveyor of words. He was a seller of religious paraphernalia. Mm. So his his scam before this was selling this periscope like object that would allow somebody standing outside um, the Vatican or whatever to see the Pope. So it would be like a mirror, kind of concave mirror. And when you held it up you could now extend your arm above all the masses and this metallic reflector would show you the image of whoever was. He also them. did like the, the food dehydrator too. Yeah. The Ronco. Yeah. That was one of <laughs> yeah. his too. Slap Slap and yeah. He did the suck yeah. cut. And the... I think they talk about like what literacy was before. What was like, that? Not seven deadly sins. What was the name of his um, the great oh, yeah, inventions? That Whatever it was. I think yeah. you're right. Yeah. Yeah. Gutenberg. Uh, and they were saying, like, were you to be reading, literacy was so often an aspect of um, religious ceremony that if you were to encounter sure, the some, books, the books that were being made Bibles, were yeah. Bibles. They yeah. were being made by the, the church or whoever. Yeah. yeah. And they were 
mostly made f- so that you would read them aloud in ceremonies. So if you walked in somebody reading silently by themselves, you would think, what the fuck are you doing? <laughs> it would be like if you saw somebody reading sheet music, just going and <laughs> looking down at it. Okay, uh, so this is our halftime. And at this point, we implore you to go out and download, rate, and review past episodes. We'd really appreciate it if you did. And then do us a solid and share the Mount Rushmore podcast with your loved ones. Um, we may not be wealthy. You may not be wealthy. But you can give people the... Speak for yourself, yeah. sir. <laughs> the priceless gift. You are wealthy and family, both of you gentlemen. You have such nice... Uh, um, families and kid kiddos and things like that and I love hearing your stories about the fun you have with them that was a weird side note okay I sound lonely uh, and <laughs> let people know how much you like no lie to people saying you really like the Mount Rushmore podcast and then recommend that they download it too and then also you can suggest a topic for us by going to the Instagram Facebook and Twitter and letting us know a topic you think would be cool and we are back with our round three, and then Richard Manfredi is going to let us know what Richie Rich thing that Mr. Howell had on Gilligan's Island. Well, well, well. <laughs> I don't know why I went French all of a sudden. <laughs> I can tell you why I went French, actually, because my third choice is the color of nobility and, and power in France and many other societies, red. Wow. Okay. Mine, third choice, was the color purple. Oh, wow. The book? Uh, wow. And later the novel? Uh, the Tyrian purple, the... Uh, uh, the color, the color of um, kind of the upper class in okay. um, uh, Rome, okay. way back when. So we're kind of on the same. We're on the same wavelength. Awesome. Wavelength. Okay. I will. I will say that red, um, very specifically, was not just be, not just a color of power and royalty, but also um, wealth, because it was a very expensive dye to be able to uh, acquire. Really. Compared to other colors, yeah, you had to. Uh, Primarily in Europe through the 1600s, uh, in the 17th, 17th century, there was it was imported from the New World by the Spaniards throughout uh, throughout uh, Europe, and it was actually a bug called a coconel that is uh, found in Mexican cactus that they would take out, scrape, dry out, and then send back to the New World or send back to the the Old World to Europe, where the importers would then grind it up and turn it into uh, red dye wow so it was this very specific sort of process yeah that involved a lot of importing and exporting mm-hmm. and uh made it a very expensive uh colored dye so if you had something that was had any red on it yeah that meant that you had wealth and especially if you had something that was a primarily a red textile mm-hmm. that meant you were you were doing all right you had a lot of you were showing off your wealth if you were wearing something red wow um, very similar thing with the Tyrian purple. It was um, like uh, uh, seashells and like the the parts that were the remains, they would grind up seashells to make this um, purple dye. And it's wild that like, you know, they have, uh, it's, it's interesting to think that through the ages, how color, how this one thing that is so impossible, you know, I think there's a lot of th- the themes that we've kind of, um, touched on are these things that are just so hard to acquire that seems so normal these days mm-hmm. and something like the color I, I, I want to tell Felix that's why things were in black and white back in the day hmm. they just they <laughs> did, just didn't have the color they couldn't afford <laughs> but um, you they know too it, poor <laughs> too Charlie poor. Chaplin 
so bored. Uh, Rome, they'd you know they'd wear their togas and they'd have like a special lining of like a purple that would go around the edges of it to kind of denote their um, their status and um, yeah, just kind of fascinating that you're when you're decked out in one color, be it purple or red, mm-hmm. that that's that's the ultimate signifier of like oh this person mm-hmm. really means something. Wow, because all the colors kind of kind of just think they cost the same <laughs> now i don't look at them and think it costs more to wear a certain i remember outfit. like uh in like art school and you'd have to like buy like some very specific colors uh of paint of like oil paint when i was yeah. doing like oil painting and like i i'm gonna murder it i don't know remember which one was like the really expensive one if it was like cobalt blue or uh-huh. like phthalo blue but like one of them was like exceptionally expensive for the small tube compared to like black sitting right yeah. next to it. You can get a big tube of black paint, but mm-hmm. to get like the very, you know, uh, specific blue, for example, was, uh, you know, just 10 times as much. Wow. I think I read that uh, there was some true thing why barns were red um, so often in, in the United States and because that paint, paint had metal in it and metal rusts so easily and that red... Doesn't rust d- as much? No, red red is essentially rusty paint it's 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 a rusting process basically all paint will turn red (laughs) because it's Mm. Ah. it had metal in it and then that would oxidize or whatever so you're already there so you're already there right (laughs) just cut out the middleman yeah cut out the middleman (laughs) so yeah and and i know with like in certain societies like in japan for example red was actually wearing red was outlawed if you were a commoner oh wow you had to be part of nobility to be able to wear red so some common non non elite would kind of get around this by lining the inside of their kimonos with red so mm-hmm. that it was something that wouldn't be seen normally but yeah. when you would open it up uh, and it's I, red. I, i've heard it's kind of a it's kind of a lucky color right but it's not necessarily not just a sign of affluence it's also a lucky or a, a valuable an auspicious color yes yeah yeah, yeah absolutely okay. okay oh cool okay then richard wrap up your four all right. My fourth one is uh, the idea of a car or a non-motorized, even a non-motorized carriage. So cars slash carriages. Uh-huh. Not the Model T. Okay. Um, the Model T was the uh, was kind of the, uh, the first car that was made for the common person. Mm-hmm. Uh, before that, the, the uh, automobile, if you think back to the early, like, I don't know, Duesenbergs yeah. or the Rolls Royces, a lot of the early luxury cars were actually made by uh, carriage manufacturers yeah. because carriages before motorized cars, it was considered to be a form of luxury to have a carriage. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you got to the actual motorized vehicles and those were seen as sort of a, a nouveau riche sort of thing for someone to purchase. You know, maybe the, the, the millionaire playboy, hmm. uh, you know, there's something that, Gatsby would own or something like you're something someone like that would own mm-hmm. um yeah you know it wasn't until the model t that that mass production started and uh that's when cars became available for everybody but before then yeah owning a car was a was considered to be kind of like something that a, your your frat boy rich guy would would own. oh yeah yeah well that's that's cool i know I, I guess i yeah, thought the Model T predated all those other things, or for some reason was kind of on at the same time. But there was a lot of 
automobile stuff going on. There was that there's there. automotive stuff that was going on, but it was just for the very yeah. rich and, and, and elite people uh-huh. to be able to own something like that. Uh-huh. There's a uh, sci-fi book called um, The Star's My Destination by Alfred Bester. And uh, in the book, the, the main premise is that um, humanity has kind of evolved to a point where they can um, teleport, self-teleport themselves. And the farther you can self-teleport, the kind of higher class you are in, in the society. And, um, but it's also kind of built on these old, um, uh, these kind of old families that are very, very rich. And they're so rich that they never teleport. Okay. They never like, so what they'll do is they'll buy all these really old methods of transportation to show their wealth. Ah. So like the car and like old carriages and or like hmm. uh, uh, locomotives or something became like these ultimate status symbols of like, I'm so wealthy that I don't have that I can go as slow as possible. Yeah, it's almost like uh, how you know, kind of being tremendously fat back in the day. <laughs> sure. Like I'm, so, I, I, I can eat so well, and yeah. I can get myself to this, to this stage yeah. of of life and gluttony that, um, uh, to hell with all the people yeah. starving. Wow. So it's kind of a, the, well, you know, um, some of the guys the, in the car culture in the. 50s and 60s who started doing lowriders they couldn't we can't afford a mustang hmm. but we can show how low and slow we can't go fast <laughs> we're going to show how <laughs> low and slow we can go and how how uh flashy and bold and brave and cool our our rides are going to be so that's an interesting thing of like showing off your wealth by showing that you don't have to lift a damn finger yeah but, yeah wait so what was that that was, was richard's it? just my, my last cars oh, and okay. 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 yeah Okay, uh, what's your last one? Uh, my last one is uh, the tulip craze. Uh, tulips, tulips, <laughs> rink a dink a How do you monster? You doing you doing monsters of megaphone over here? <laughs> tulips, everybody's talking about tulips. I thought it was Fred Schneider from the B-52s. For Could be both. Um, <laughs> there was uh, back in the 1600s. There was a huge like uh, Dutch tulip market that evolved out of um, all this like incredible wealth that started kind of um, developing around the um, uh, like the trading companies, the merchants, yeah. the, the Dutch East India Company. So all these people from uh, gaining this tremendous wealth started um, uh, being able to like uh, plant flowers around their homes and they would plant tulips. And these were these really rare kind of out of region um uh, of flowers and so people's interests started really getting they're like this became owning tulips became this um uh symbol of wealth and they started um because tulips take seven years to gestate to grow mm-hmm. they uh created this like enormous like speculative market on tulips and so these like tulip bulbs would start getting sold for the you know, what it would take, uh, you know, like a, a general craftsman would take, what he'd make over like three years would be the cost of like one tulip wow. bulb. Oh. Wow. The estimated <laughs> yeah. price. So like there's all this, you know, it's like this big like kind of this tulip kind of uh-huh. bubble yeah. of people like putting money into like this big tulip market. So to own one was, you know, in, in the immediate time was like um, a great symbol of wealth. But then all of a sudden, like February of that year, the people that were coming to the markets to buy them didn't buy them. Oh, shit. And so the, the floor totally dropped out. So uh-huh. this thing that was like 
perceived wealth is just suddenly it was just like yeah. okay wow gone it's Bye. just fickle fate yeah it's just we had their eyes on something else yeah wow i love that now it's like windmills you know or something else <laughs> <laughs> uh i was just watching blade runner and uh there's a line where he's you know interviewing uh zora or somebody the the exotic dancer yeah, sir. Is that a real snake? She said, "If you think I, if you think if I could afford a real snake, do you think I'd be working here?" Yeah. Like I love this world that Ridley Scott puts together. Okay, dudes, why don't we go? What a fun topic, right? Um, uh, audience, I know you'll agree. Um, stop messaging us. We know it's fun. We know we're doing great here. Stop messaging us and emailing us and following us on all the social media handles. No, you can keep doing it. Uh, to yeah, where are you know. going with this, Jeff? Yeah, no, nailed, nailed it. Let's <laughs> um, <laughs> here. So let's go with uh, tulip. Let's go with pineapple because that got stuff off. Uh, wait, that that oh, got us oh, started. Excuse me. What's get, happening now? Getting off with a pineapple? That's a ooh. oh, guys. Um, and um, salt because I use it every day. And why don't we go? Um, uh, why don't we go ice cream? Ice cream. Because you scream ice cream. We all ice scream. Cream, ice cream. Ice cream. <laughs> ice cream. Ice cream. This has been the Mount Rushmore of Labadoodoo. Uh, as always, I'm Jeff. I'm Richard. <laughs> I'm Michael. <laughs> <laughs>